meaning no harm. Dee da do 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 do, been in trouble with the law since the day I was born. <sighs> hey everyone, it's Dan. Welcome to episode 145 of Eventually Super Train, short lived TV show podcast. We cover those short lived TV shows that never got enough love, never got enough time, never got enough whatever. But we're here, and one day we will talk about Eventually Super Train. And what are we talking about today? Well, first, I do want to apologize. If anyone's listening as the episode is coming out circa mid-April 2023, I've been a little lax. I missed the last scheduled episode. Three reasons. One, the minute-by-minutes I've been doing for the past two years, three of them covering six movies, were completed. So that took time, and I decided to... I decided it was more important to finish that because I thought I'd never get them finished. So I got them finished. That's 70s Friends of Frankenstein covering Blackenstein and Frankenstein 80. This might be the last time I say this. Probably not, though. Uh, Howling 2 and 7-2 covering Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, and Howling New Moon Rising. And Spooky Minutes Spent in a Ghost House, Spooky's Ghost House. Second reason, Happy Days Season 6 is completed. Season 7 will begin probably after the next episode, 146. And the third reason is that Amanda Reyes and I were doing something, and you'll find out what that is soon, but that took a bunch of time. So I'm here, and you got to get used to it. Never meaning no harm beats all you ever saw. I've been in trouble with the law since the day I was born. Enos? Enos, is that you? I know you had your own spinoff. Maybe we'll cover it one day. Enos, come back. The Enos Show. If I could find a good rhyming word with Enos, maybe I could put that in the title. In this episode, Amanda Reyes and I are covering... What are we covering? Lucan. Episode 4? How Can You Run Forever? And then I will be talking about Gemini Man, Episode 4. How Can You Run Forever? And then Tim S. Beats all you been and saw. In trouble with law since Tim Turner was born. Tim S. Turner. And I are discussing episode two of How Do You Run Forever? And uh, I hope you all will enjoy it. And um, I'm going to play you a little music. And then uh, we will dive right into some Lucan and the episode How Do You Run Forever? Never meaning no harm. Beats all you ever saw Been in trouble with the law Since last Thursday <sighs> Feel like making lunch mm, 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 mm. Feel like waking up mm, 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 mm. Folgers in my cup mm, mm, mm. Feel like making up and having a tasty lunch. Lucan, episode four. 
January 9th, 1978. How Do You Run Forever? This one is directed by Barry Shear, teleplay by Elliot West, Robert Specht, and story by Elliot West. And in this one, Lucan is caught by the Institute. And then, oh boy, his parents turn up. And it's Diana Muldaur, 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 and Mr. Monty Markham. And they uh, adopt him, and, and, they, and he's going to live a happy life there. Unfortunately, some sort of gangsters may impose upon their happy life. And I'm going to leave, we go very in-depth into it here, but just suffice it to say, he's captured, then he's um, brought back into his parents' life, and then things go a little screwball. So uh, wonderful Amanda is on the other side of um, this little bit of music. We'll see you there. Luke and Chad continues with episode four. How do you run forever? We're in January 1978, and I'm here with the great Amanda Reyes. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm uh, ready to talk about this episode. And but before I do, I just I just want to say I, I mentioned I think I mentioned this in the plot breakdown of the previous one, but uh, I did find out through uh, Mr. Chris Cooling who does the Forgotten TV podcast, which is a wonderful short-lived TV show podcast. That's the podcast that does all the beautiful research while we just watch the episodes <laughs> and talk about them. <laughs> So I don't know. Important and valuable. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, do 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 you know why there was that huge gap of like twelve to thirteen weeks in between when they aired the first episode of Luke Can, not the movie, the first episode and the next one? I do not know, Dan. Please tell me. I've got four words. San, yeah, four words. San Pedro Beach Bums. Yep. That was a TV show that uh, there was a TV movie, a 90 minute TV movie that aired earlier in 77. And for some reason, I've no idea why, because this wasn't this wasn't the era of one episode and cancel. Um, generally, um, you, you could get um, and now suddenly I'm thinking of that um, Animal House ripoff that I forgot the name of that got canceled after one episode. Co-ed Fever. Co-ed Fever. I don't yeah. know. That's exactly what I thought <laughs> oh. of when you said that. <laughs> Oh man, that's that's a podcast I want to do. I want to cover in depth the three Delta House brothers and sisters in Coed Fever. Oh, Delta House was so good. Yeah, Delta House was a lot of fun, and and I, I'm interested in brothers and sisters because it's um, uh, what's her name? Um, she may or may not have shot Jr. Crosby. Uh, oh, Mary she, Crosby. Yes, that's the show she did right before mm. she was on Dallas for the. In fact, when she's on Battle of the Network Stars. She's on there for Brothers and Sisters, which had already been canceled by the time that Battle of the Network Stars had aired, which is too bad. That happens a lot on, on that, but uh, enough about that. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, so, so San Pedro Beach Bums was an hour-long – I've never seen it, but it's an hour-long comedy. I don't know if that means it's a sitcom that's an hour. They didn't do that back then. They didn't have hour-long comedies no, back then. No, it sounds then. like an eight is enough kind of situation, yeah, maybe. Yeah, they may have thrown in a laugh track or something. I don't know. Stuart Pankin was in it. Ooh. Uh, which is all you Sold. need to know. Sold. Which is all you... <laughs> which is all you need to know. And apparently they aired the episode... Of, not apparently. This is proof. This is can be backed up with actual proof. They aired the first episode of Lucan... The twelve or so episodes of San Pedro Beach Bums. They, according to Wikipedia, there was one unaired, and then the last episode aired right before Christmas, and then right after Christmas, Lucan came on the air again with another six episodes. 
So I've no season replacement, I guess. Yeah, but it, it's it's so odd because I've I've never seen that. Where like I mean, they aired an episode of a new show, and then it was gone for twelve weeks, and then suddenly it was back on the air for another six weeks. And not only that, but it came back the next season for a few more episodes. I wonder if it was just a situation where they were unsure. I don't know. I guess I could try to look up the ratings. I don't remember yeah, if I tried I... to do that or not, and uh, and and see if maybe it was just one of those shows where they were kind of iffy. Yeah. on it like it got a lukewarm response a lucan warm response and then, <laughs> and then they were like i don't know let's try this and then mm-hmm. i don't know i mean i could i could try to dig into it but that's good information yeah. yeah that's it's and that's one of the weirder things i've seen like it, it was just because when we saw that gap it was like there must have been what would and to add the actual fact that they put an entire short-lived tv show in that gap is I think fantastic. And now I want to watch San Pedro Beach Bums, although I bet it stinks. If, I can't if, say that for certain. Maybe? <laughs> if you said Stuart Pankin, and it's like... I'd like to think he brought the funny. He's he's in my favorite episode of Three's a Crowd, which is the last episode of the series. And it's so sad because like the show really hit its stride in that episode. And you were oh. like, oh man, if they just had another season, if they could have just mined from this episode... Mm-hmm. And and but Sewer Pankin just makes it so. Him and John Ritter together is like. Oh, that's him key. and Robert Mandan together. You know? Yes. It's just as good. Oh. As that. <sighs> Pankin, Pankin cast. Oh man, there's something <laughs> to think about. We could cover the infomercials he's done too. That would be fun. Um. So uh. So what what are your thoughts? So so that's 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 where that weird gap was, and I love the fact that there's. I I'm almost tempted now to have us record these Lucan chats and then not put them up until I've covered San Pedro Beach Bums just to mirror history but I'm not going to because I think it's tough to find yeah, it might be I'm familiar yeah. with it for some reason I was just looking it up and I think it's because the TV movie was directed by somebody interesting to me but mm-hmm. now I can't remember who that was I'd love it if it had a laugh track oh like it is enough I'm guessing it does just because I can't envision an hour long comedy mm-hmm. not being like love boat or eight is enough yeah. or any of those hour-long comedies hilariously inappropriate <laughs> yeah. tracks. um so what did you think of i was going to say how do you spell forever but it's how do you run forever well as somebody who's run for eight years mm. off and on <laughs> i can tell you you can't run forever you can you try can, you cannot but after the first couple hours you get really tired and then you need a break. So it's impossible to run forever. But this episode of Luke Cannon, that was a really bad joke, but I just <laughs> ran nine miles yesterday, so it's on my mind. Uh, I think our discussion of laugh tracks, uh, you know what's going to happen <laughs> after you tell that joke. Oh, my God. I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, this is probably my fi- Forget what I said about the search, about it being the best episode of the series. This is the best episode of the series. And... <laughs> I barely made it when you uh, were like, we're going to cover this one next. I waited till the last minute to watch it because I just knew it was going to rip my heart out. And it did again. And it's it's fantastic. And, of course, now I'm revisiting these only for the second time ever. So, so there may be other episodes coming down the pike that I'm forgetting that are as good as this. But I can't imagine that the show will get finer than it does in this hour because it was such an incredible, moving episode that has so much going on in it with terrific performances some really interesting um moments in it really beautifully put together directed Mm -hmm. acted written really beautifully written um and uh i just think it's fantastic Mm -hmm. i um you hated it 
No, 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 no. I, I no. I was gonna say I like. I've got a playing right here, and Doctor Fleming is on, who I don't like. Yes. She's she. It's weird. She she is she is the um she's the 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 doctor who replaces Doctor Hoagland, and she puts Lucan through a series of tests, which we learn in the end he was never meant to pass. And when you see her at at the start of the episode, she just seems kind of nurse ratchet, hard ass. Uh, and then she has this moment where. Um, she's talking about Lucan with Ho- Dr. Hoagland about, you know, why do you want to keep him in here? Because, you know, we don't think that he's, you know, fit enough to be part of society. And Hoagland says, uh, look around you. I think you'll see several million people who aren't fit to be in society. And her response is, maybe. Um, basic, basically, it's the 1978 version of whatever. Yeah. Well, whatever. Even the way she waves goodbye to him is so, like... <laughs> Rude. <laughs> it's like she she walks about t- like ten twenty feet away from it, turns and gives kind of like a eh, wave. Doctor Hogan he mumbles something that I can't understand. I wish there were subtitles. Not that the I wouldn't put that on the transcriber. It's very tough to under. He he mumbles something under his breath when she walks away, and I watched it three times and I could not quite get. Well, I even did that thing where. I turned it up as TV as loud as I could. He mumbles what he mumbles, and then I repeated it phonetically and tried to see if I could make that into something, but I couldn't. And I thought, surely he's not saying, like, what a biatch. Yeah, I remember him doing that, and I can't remember if I understood what he said, but I think in that moment I felt like it was almost like sort of improv, Mm. like he was carrying on past their interaction and, and like, where he would be as Dr. Hoagland, the actor, John Randolph. and. um, And uh, being very put out. And it's interesting that you call him, like, the other, like, the new Dr. Hoagland because there's such a vast difference between them. Yeah. You know, because Dr. Hoagland is nothing if not compassionate. Yes. You know, like, incredibly compassionate. And then this woman is just awful. And only, only, only time she's not a totally terrible person is when she's completely afraid of Lucan. Yes. And she's only afraid of Lucan um, because she's been fed all of this mm-hmm. information that he's not fit for society and that he's violent and that he's all mm-hmm. this stuff. And so when he corners her in the lab after he gets really frustrated, you know, she's, you can tell that she's feeding into like, like what she's been told. Like, yeah. She's not mm-hmm. thinking for herself at all. She's not a good doctor. No, 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 no. She, she is, yeah, she is working for that guy who's smoking the pipe. Oh, Percy uh, Rodriguez. I, yeah, that's, and that's not a euphemism or something. He actually, there, there's a, there's a scene where they have kind of to show, I, 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 I like what they do, they, they will do this occasionally. I've seen this in, um, I saw this in a, an older movie, like from the 30s or 40s, where, um, there was a guy who was had sort of that attitude, kind of like, well, yes, I'm in charge and I know what's going on. And they did sort of the same framing where um, he, the guy lights up a pipe and he, like his face and the pipe like fill up the screen. And the guy who's right and is sort of our hero is kind of behind it to, to kind of like, look, uh, I'm so huge that me and my pipe take up the screen, so we <laughs> must be right. And they, they do that in here. Uh, which I, I I kind of I kind of like because it was like Ho- you know Hoagland's in the right and you know he's saying the right things but they have him light the pipe very you know slowly in the front and then suddenly it's like taking up the screen and it's like I'm in charge Look when at he me. first when he first talks I always forget that Percy Rodriguez was the voiceover in a lot of trailers mm, and he yes. starts talking and I'm like oh okay he's gonna start talking about Jaws. Yes. <laughs> this is. I love this. He's gonna say just when you thought. You know what I mean? And like, he didn't, and I was upset. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. 
<laughs> you can't get off the beach. No, that's another. That's Blood that's Beach, an, right? That's, that's Blood so Beach. Good. <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. Um, the um, uh, yeah. So Doc, Doctor Fleming, uh, let's not a good doctor, uh, unfortunately. Um, and uh, and. Yeah, and there, there's something about it too. When you watch those tests she puts her through, you just sit there thinking, "What is the point of this?" She's she's having him do like the, um, uh, but he is getting frustrated. But then I guess you know he's doing the put the blocks in the holes. Yeah, well she's thing. timing him, and she's like one, yeah, two, she's like, yeah. three, and she's making him do it like multiple times. So of course, the longer he goes, the more he's not going to be able to do it quickly because he's tired mm-hmm. and they're just like, just trying to like exhaust him. And then they have him hooked up to all those machines. And when he, that right before he has that freak out where he's got all those like electrodes attached yes. to his head. Yeah. What are they doing to him there? I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, I could understand if he had just been taken out of the, I didn't mean to cut you off, but if he'd just been taken out of like the woods, I could understand maybe that. Yeah. I guess whatever, but he's, He's, he's been out living in the world. He's a college student. And, yes, exactly. And she's got these weird blue Frisbee things. Do you remember that? That she puts on this, like... Yes! And then she picks mm. one up and puts it back. Like, so they were using those blue things, but I don't understand what those are. And, and at the end of all of it, the, the scene where they call the other doctor, the assistant, up... Oh, yeah, yeah. To, it's weird because it's like, he's so crazy, and they have to, they strap him down, and they're calling the guards, but then when they call Lucan to say, your parents, the Demirs, are here, um, he's doing a Rorschach test with the guy, and the guy's sitting at his desk with the cards, flipping them, and Lucan's literally sitting on the corner of his desk looking at him going, that's a lady, that's a car, that's Monty Markham, that, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, and it's, it's literally, it's like, it couldn't be more comfortable looking. So it's almost like when he's with Fleming, you got to strap him down and bring the guards. But when he's with the assistant, yeah, he's just sitting on the edge of my, you know, thing. We were having a little Dairy Queen and looking at Rorschachs. He thinks, yes, he, yes, he does think they're all boobs. No, he thinks they're all Monty Markums. Oh, that's right, <laughs> boobs or Markums. One or the other. One or the other. I would. That would have been funny if, if if they had gone more to the Rorschachs. He was like, "Are you sure you're seeing a car there? Look closer. Look there. Look right here. What do you see? Uh, a car? Oh boy, the boy's not doing them right. He fails. Good old, good, old, good old Rorschach. I wonder how many times they made him do that, or, or whether that was just something like they were just shooting a breeze, and he was like, and Lucan was like, "What's that stack of cards? Oh, have a look at these. What do you see? Oh, that's a car. That's a da da da. That's a." That's a famous star. Yeah. That's a butterfly. Okay. That's a butterfly. That's They're a butterfly. all butterflies to me. They're exactly exactly. They're, yeah, um, it was it was it was interesting because well, first of all, like so one of the things that we've been talking about on this uh, podcast, I was like commentary on this podcast is <laughs> that there's all these characters with shades of gray, and I think this one really for me is a standout for Prentice. Mm-hmm. Because yes. he captures him, yes. and then he's kind of kind to him, and then he says, to, I think it's Dr. Hoagland and Professor Rodriguez, he says, you know, do right by him or do something to that effect, and, you know, it's he's very lovely, kid. yeah. And, um, and you can tell, like, he's doing this job, mm-hmm. but it, there's part of it that, like, hurts him to do it, and you don't always yeah. see that in these episodes, but, like, like there's this, there's this great just moment of him like being a human and sort of mm-hmm. understanding that Lucan is a human too. He's not just this wolf boy thing that like, yes. you know, to wrangle around as you please. And, um, and it was such a great way to kind of start off the episode because first of all, he's 
he's in this quest to find his parents at the beginning, and that guy is just swindling him. And Prentice even tells him that, you know, this guy's yeah. just taking your money. And and there's like just this this almost not fatherly, but there's something really like mm-hmm. I don't know sweet about he's, it. Yeah, he's he's um. I think I'd like to say it was based off of the last episode where he he and Lucan saved the day at the farm, yeah. and he sort of seemed like oh you know what you I'm I'm going to bring him back, and he does I'm going to bring him back, but um you know what I I don't know that I'm going to like this one. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. but he's got to make a living. You know, we don't know. You know, there could have been there. You know, if Luke had been huge, we may have got like a sitcom spinoff of Prentice. Where, you know, Prentice <laughs> Prentice retires, and he and his wife adopt six orphans, six wolf boys, six wolf boys, and they you know, and they have a wacky time. So, but yeah, we don't we don't know Prentice's thing. But he he does he he I don't he doesn't seem um he it, because it, it's funny because at the end when Luke Ann is free again. You know, he very much goes to Hoagland and says, I'm going to get him, and if yeah. I have to, I'll use you. And so, you know, he's he's very determined. And maybe with that point, he's like, I don't like being effed around with. Yeah, he, and, he's, he's interesting. He's a bullshit detector, too, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, yeah. the, he's the poker face of the show. Because yeah, exactly. He, he always <laughs> Charlie, knows, yeah. yeah, when somebody's pulling one over on him. And he he's compelling because he's not a bad guy, but mm-hmm. he's also, like, the nemesis. Yes, and and I like that. Like the writing so far has been pretty good, and even though uh, there's not there is a story arc of him looking for his parents, mm-hmm. but it's also very much like a one-off episode stuff. So it's really compelling, yes. and and they've been really consistent with the characters, which you didn't always see on mm-hmm. television at this time. Because yeah, the the one the one the the one tricky thing with the episode for me is just it does get a little too. Um, because if you think about it, a little too coincidency. Just because if you think about it, so they so they finally capture Lucan, and they're putting him through these tests. But then his parents show up, and you learn spoiler everyone because we're you know that I mean it's an episode of Lucan. This isn't you know this isn't a, a big a big mystery or something. You know this isn't Agatha. This isn't a Poirot. We're not ruining anything. They aren't his parents. If they were his parents, the show would be over. So. um... Uh, although, although technically they could have still made of his parents and ended it the way it ended, but then they would have had to shift the focus yeah. of what was going on in the but next even, episode. But even even Prentice recognized that that was wrong too. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, and, and so there's there's something where Hoagland had this student, Miss Miss Demare Diane Muldauer. Yeah. Is that? I think yes. I always say yeah. I think that's how I say Mulder. It. Mulder. Mulder. Um, uh, and who I generally know, generally when I see her and stuff, she's kind of like a stern lady or kind of like a meaner lady. Aww. So to see her is kind of like a more, um, that, that's why the moment she shows up, I was like, Ooh, her and Monty Markham together. This could go either way. <laughs> you never know. But they, but they turn out to be very nice. Although when Monty Markham's showing Luke Ann how to play basketball, maybe that gets a little much. He really, I he agree. really wants Luke Ann. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that um, luckily Luke gets a basket from like a three pointer, and and so that seals that ends that scene. But um, so 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 Hoagland had a student played uh, who's Miss Demare who who's been telling about Luke and now he says basically you and you you there you and your husband uh, pretend to a, be his parents. I'll give you all the info you need. You adopt him. I guess they want a child, and Luke wants some parents, and this will be perfect. And they're. I, I don't. I, do they say what it is they do for a living? Because they have a huge house by well, the beach he, in Los Angeles. He did. He was doing mobster bookkeeping, so I'm guessing whatever he does now is is a money thing. 
like financials. Yes. And uh-huh. he's, he's very successful because they do live right on the beach in a pretty impressive house. And they mentioned, yeah, they mentioned a mountain house too. Yes. And I would imagine that's like Big Bear or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, something really, really sweet. So, um, so, so it's, it's, it's actually kind of lucky that, I mean, imagine if Hoagland had called her up and it had been like, okay, you know, like Mrs. Sanford. Um, we're gonna have you uh, take him and, 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 and Fr- Liz- we're gonna have you take Elizabeth. We're gonna have you and Fred take him in, and then suddenly, you know, he was living in a junkyard. And his name was Lamont. Yeah, his name was Lamont. Exactly. That's a that's a that's a very in another universe. That's the way Sanford said. But but yeah, it's it's just lucky that it's an intensely wealthy couple, <laughs> and he put them in, because that's gonna make his life nicer. You wouldn't want him to end up, you know, with. Um, you know, with like, um, oh, Alice, Alice Cramden. Yes, uh, I've got oh, someone yeah. I want you to adopt. See, yeah. that would have been a little weird. That would have been. Uh, that, I can't. Where even, would they have put him? I don't even know where how Cam would have come out uh, out of that relationship. Yeah, where, I mean, where would they have put him? He'd have to sleep out in the fire escape. He'd probably be into it. He'd probably be okay. He'd yeah. be okay. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, so, like I said, so Hoagland calls up Ms. Demir, Ms. Demir, Mr. Demir adopt him, and everything seems to be great, except, unfortunately, um, uh, Ms. Demir, I think, mentions that, yeah, this was, she knew Hoagland before she met Mr. Demir. This was long before they fell in love and got married. And then, and then within like a week or so of, or however long it is, of adopting Lucan, suddenly <laughs> Mr. Demir's mob ties from way in his past, come back and force them to be separated. It seemed a bit... In the end, it's lovely, and it's really more of a MacGuffin than anything that separates them. But it's still like, you couldn't have thought of something else? Like, I'm going to call the one woman I know can help me get Lucan a good home. Oh, what? Her husband had mob ties? Oh, well, I guess that's TV for you. That is but, TV. It is very TV. But I, I don't know. I really liked it. I thought... It, it was really well done, and, and those sequences, well, first I want to talk just a little bit about when um, uh, Stephen, played by Monty Markham, takes Lucan shopping, and mm-hmm. he, and there's a really interesting little thing that they do here. So he takes him shopping, and he buys Lucan, basically a suit that Monty Markham would wear, So and Lucan had been wearing, <laughs> like, jeans and, like, plaid shirts, and now he's in this, like, really great-looking suit, and they go to get ice cream, which is what you do with your 10-year-old, but whatever. <laughs> and and Monty Markham has to leave because he sees the one of the hitmen, and who Lucan actually spots first, and but doesn't know why, that this guy is dangerous. And then he leaves because he can't go get him again because the hitman and his partner have gone into the, the ice cream shop. So Lucan goes home. And he's calling and he's saying, he's finally, he didn't call them mother and father for a while. And then he was, got really comfortable with it. And he's like dad, mom, and he's yelling it out. And they're gone. And then they have this moment where Lucan is in a fetal position on the bed. It's one of the most moving moments of the series that I can think of. But he's back in his old clothes. Oh, which yeah, I thought yeah. was such a nice mm-hmm. touch. Like kind of reverting back to like this child that got abandoned the first time. Yeah. he probably did yeah. curl up in a little ball when he was a boy. And um and he it looks like he's crying because he hears the door unlock it's the hitman and he looks up and he looks like he's been in the middle of having like a really bad time and it's such mm-hmm. a beautifully translated moment yeah. of like of like the loss that he has to deal with again and there was another reason why I was going to talk about this scene oh so but the, then when the hitman shows up it's actually really suspenseful yeah it's nicely done they they hang on the they stay on the hitman for a long time so you don't know. 
you know that Lucan knows he's there, but you don't know where Lucan is. Yeah. So you're kind of you're actually kind of feeling bad for the hitman because he's about to get walloped. He's about to get Lucaned, and it's going to be Lucan'd amazing. Big time, yes. yeah. And so like so like that whole sequence is just like blows my mind, and and I like they keep intercutting uh, to Mulder and Markham. Uh, who that sounds like a cop show. Well, and, and he's explaining why he, they're running, and and so you're getting the story unfolding in front of you, and they they still haven't revealed that they're not his parents, but you can tell they're leaning into it. Yes. And you're just waiting for like that moment to happen, and then there's that great sequence when she gets on the bus, and she's like, I can't take you, and she doesn't. At this point, we don't know that they're not his parents for sure, but she doesn't. She's not going to tell him that, and. She gets onto the bus, and so does the hitman. And then Lucan's running on top of cars while he's chasing the bus. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he just glides into that bus window. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the stunt work in this is amazing. Yeah, it's very nice. I love very it. And nice. it looks like it's him through some of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Doing yeah, it. yeah, I, it, it really does, yeah. So it's just, it's really good. And that part's even suspenseful. And I like the guy sitting next to the hitman on the bus. He's trying to look down his... Uh, his coat to see if he has a gun. Try to peek in. Yeah. He's like, sorry, I had to look, you know. And it's just this really weird <laughs> moment in the thing. But um, yeah, there, I like, I like. It's it mixes a lot of stuff because it's got this very heartfelt story that unfolds pretty beautifully between mm-hmm. um, the couple and Lucan. But then it's also got like these great action sequences and suspense moments, and yes. it also has like. Uh, at the end, when everything's revealed about how Dr. Hoagland set it all up after Lucan destroys his house, um, yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. a really great scene. Um, mm-hmm. That that you kind of fall more in love with Dr. Hoagland. Yes, you, know? you get two really big emotional scenes there in a row with with uh, at the end there. Poor Dr. Hoagland, he goes through the ringer. He sure yeah. does. He tries so hard to help this kid, and he's he's as as prestigious as he is at the university like i don't think they can let him go he's probably mm-hmm. tenured and he's very well respected but he's powerless against like the core the unseen the corporate yeah. yeah like bureaucracy that has deemed mm-hmm. this person un, as unfit for society when he's actually more fit for society as dr hola pointed out than most of the students that are there yeah 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 so there's just like this episode just hits the, on every yeah level. and 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 when when I when I say some of the plotting is a bit weird, that's that's only because I'm that's sort of the way I when well, I look at right. stuff I, I tend mean, to. It is really convenient that there's like a hitman after him. Like his his yes. picture ends up in the paper and like you know. But like I guess I'm used to TV. Just like I love Charlie's Angels. Like that's just playing yeah. it by the book. Like the the mysteries are playing it by the book. There's nothing unique about what's happening in the story, th- but it's what's, mm-hmm. what the characters are doing is always Yeah, different. exactly. Exactly. And we'll see that definitely like with the next episode, yeah. where which takes a very, like a plot line we've seen a lot and does its own. And that's the joy of it is you want to see, I mean, it's like every like, um, I was going to say like every sort of like when the when the X Files started back in the day for me part of the fun was when it would do sort of like storylines like at face monsters and things that other shows had done to see their take on it. Yes. So th- this this is kind of what it's what it's 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 doing here, and I I, I really do enjoy the episode. I <laughs> there is that moment where he he's he runs from is it he runs from like the ice cream shop. And then he's running and he's running and he's running oh. and then suddenly he's on the beach. Yeah. And I thought, how long have you? Maybe you can run forever. Maybe you can. Maybe I, I'm because, not in Luke can't shape, but he because, seems to be able to run forever. This is true. Because the the way it cuts it, it shows him like it looks like he's in like downtown like L.A. or something, and then suddenly he's running on the beach and he's still got the same pose and he doesn't look like he's sweating at all and he's in his cool like leisure suit with the medallion. Yeah, that's right. And he's like, and watch. you expect like a he's still got yeah. the watch. 
he still got the yeah. Do you expect that uh, disco music to be playing or something really cool like Lucan? He's a man. He's a wolf. He's a man. He's a wolf. <laughs> oh my a, god! Why wasn't that the theme song? That would have been fantastic. Uh, um, <laughs> and one verse could have been about, about he's a man, and then another one could have been like a distorted vocal singing how he's a wolf. Oh man, they missed out. That would have been a hit. That would have been a hit. Um, what was I saying? Oh, um, uh, he runs a lot. He runs a lot, yes, and I, and yeah, yeah. Poor Doctor Hoagland, he gets put through it. And there, there was a, there was a moment. I did think this the first time I watched it, but I did the second, which is, you see, you see, Lucan beats up the hitman. Hoagland goes to Lucan's new home, and then it cuts to Hoagland on the phone a moment later talking to Ms. Ms. Demare, um, Diana Muldaur, and um, and he's talking to her, saying, um, "You know, is Luke? Where's Lucan? Da da da." And for a moment, I thought, um, "Is that his house? Is he in their house? What? Where is he?" So then, when Lucan storms in and begin destroying oh. everything, my first thought was that at the end of it, he go, "Dude, I'm just renting the place." Yeah, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Come on. Dr. Hogan would definitely say dude. <laughs> exactly. He's trying to be hip. Um, this was the time of the San Pedro Beach Bums, if you remember Yeah, they've got to compete with the memory of that yeah. series. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so um, uh, what else about this episode? Yeah, the, the great thing about it is really at the end of the day, the core of the episode is this this family who um, who who wants this a ch- a child, or at least wants a grown man living with them. Uh who are willing to help, who are so sort of compassionate that they're willing to help get this young man out of this horrible... I mean, because the moment... You know, like, they're doing these tests and these tests, and then all of a sudden the the head administrator... You know, and, and it's like... And they do they do a foreground thingy again where they, they make the administrator sort of the head of the frame, even though this time he's in the background, where they put Fleming and Hoagland in the foreground, the left and right side of the frame, arguing. And then in the background, you just see him there in between them, just looking at them. Then the phone rings, and they're still arguing. He picks the phone up, and he goes, Yeah? Hello? Parents, okay, it's over. <laughs> Hangs up the phone, and and and, and I like I like the fact that once his parents show up, then that severs all the ties with the university, and it's over. And I, I actually was really hoping when the episode ended, they would have been his parents in another for a second episode. Yeah, that, they were. That's not something so good. Uh, unless they had made it like a two-parter, which would have called too much attention to it. Yeah, I would have loved it if it had been like just like a Beverly Hillbillies episode. You know, they never part one and part two those episodes, but sometimes those stories would stretch for four or five. Se- the Frogman one that went on for like ten episodes. <laughs> you know, they would go on for forever, and they would never signpost it, so you never knew if the next episode was going to. Right. Sometimes you did. You you know, but if if this one had been how do you run forever, and then the next one had been maybe you know One Punch Wolfson, and maybe it had his parents in it. You know, or something, and he just somehow got involved in boxing or something. I don't know. You, but um, you reminded me in that scene where he meets his uh, quote unquote parents for the first time. There's that great moment where Diana Maldair's character she might have she may be approaching him. I can't remember if she's just standing next to Bunny Markham, and then she's like, uh, you know, we're your parents, or my name is this, or whatever. And Lucan kind of walks to the side, and then he walks right next to Doctor Hoagland, and it reminds me of like when a pet is scared. Or a yes. child is scared, and they go to yes. the one person that they trust. Mm-hmm. That will you would have done that safe. with the wolf, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I thought that that was such a really well done. There's just so many little things in this 
that are... It's startling, actually. How I, I didn't expect... I didn't remember them from when I watched it on Warner Archive Instant so long Yeah, ago. it's just... It's got all these really neat little touches, and it, it cares so much about the character of Lucan that, mm-hmm. like, it, everything feels like like it's natural, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's these neat little, like, meticulous touches, I think, that the filmmakers put into the production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and they and they they handle it, um, and they don't. I mean, to me, like the episode, it really yeah is about him and uh, making the bond with these people and then losing them. Um, but 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 they don't skip on like the uh, like the action scenes. No. I mean, the scene where he's fighting the hitman is pretty rough and tumble, and you know, I'm not saying it's John Wick or anything like that, but it's pretty <laughs> rough and incre- and and a lot of great handheld camera, like when he shoves the guy in the closet and locks it. It's handheld camera, and the camera's shaking around a bit, moving around, and um, and it's it's they, they don't. Um, they don't they don't skimp on it no. in this episode every every everything is i think everything is is sharply done and and like i said before the one or two things that i might nitpick are just me being like oh, isn't that weird but it, in the end it doesn't matter it doesn't matter at all it's about this this couple and and the almost moment they had the few lovely days they had together where they played basketball they hung out by the beach and there was promise of a mountain home i'd actually be more excited about the mountain home than the beach home yeah my gosh oh my gosh just think of them i mean beach homes are fun but the mountain home not only do do you you get you're going to get the trees maybe some snow you're going to get the the beautiful air up there but i think you get more slasher Yes. up there than you do on a, oh, be- in a beach home. Luke versus uh, uh, Jason Voorhees would have been oh, pretty I, cool. Yeah, yeah just, just, just the scene where maybe like Luke Han's hanging out with some, some other kids in Big Bear and someone yells, Madman Mars! And all of a sudden it's crazy. See, I'd watch that. I would watch that a hundred times. Madman too. But my money's on um, Lucan for all of those competitions. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this show, this episode, I mean, I think all the episodes so far that we've seen personally uh, have a lot of heart. But, I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's just where that stands for me. They're just they're, they're kind of these emotional things in, like, 45 minutes. You're right, they've yeah. crammed in so many different things. But at the uh, at the end, it's about the heart of what they're doing that's so important. And I, I um, and we mentioned with the previous episode, I think Sutton Raleigh's kind of – Kind of um, not always normal direction yeah. to it, and some sometimes being really cool, and occasionally like with that all close up scene being a little weird. But I'm, I'm just watching here and like there uh, where Diane Muldaur, and we're gonna get we're gonna get hell for that, are we? It'll be like Joanne Pafflug. Yeah, uh, if we can't pronounce it, you know, I've never heard her name well, said out loud. So I've no, same here, to, same here. I love. She her. should be on the commentary. Is she still? She is. I believe she's with still us? with us. Oh. And she's. I've always just been in love with her. And she, she's. Yeah. She's so beautiful and dignified. She's got that Stephanie Powers kind of thing. That like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that dignified thirty something whatever. That yes. I still long, even though I'm past thirty, way past thirty. I, I still long to be like mid thirties. <laughs> but she, when she meets Lucan, um, she's wearing this blue wrap dress. Mm-hmm. That is like yes. the most stunning thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I have not stopped thinking about that dress for like two <laughs> days. So it's the best. The uh, I forget what I was. I was going to say something. Oh, oh, it's the uh, they they do um, they they're they're they don't just use because I, I have a play in here like when Doctor Hoagland is waiting for a phone call or when when Lucan comes in to talk to him after beating up the hitman. The the camera in uh, in 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 Hoagland's house there is. Um, is uh not the one he's renting his actual house is um is is it's shaky cam it's handheld cam throughout 
And that's like, he's sitting in his kitchen, the phone rings, and then he walks into the living room area to answer the phone. And, you know, they could easily just put that on the tripod and pan it over, but they have it on, like, shaky cam, so it's kind of close to him. And then the phone rings, and it kind of backs up, and it's shaky, and then it pans, and then it kind of steps and moves over. And so it's kind of got a more, um, it's much more uh, 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 kinetic I yeah. guess, or fr- fr- frenetic, fr- fr- frantic, fr- fr- you know the words I'm looking for, I everyone. Do. Insert the words that I'm not finding in my mind right now. I guess frenetic but is better than kinetic. Yeah, it, I'm trying to like it, it, pull those apart. It, it, it just gives everything more of more of a push yeah. because if it, if it was done sort of in a standard way where it was just he, the cameras on him and maybe it cuts to the phone, yeah, or it just pans over, it would have been like. Eh. But the shakiness means that Hoagland, you know, he may he may be having a refreshing cup of Maxwell House, but he is shaken inside. Ooh, look at that. I was thinking about that, him sitting in his house and just having coffee. And uh-huh. I'm like, those are my favorite moments of the day, too. Even though he's totally like, what's going on? The camera on? tells you. Yeah, like yeah. he's very upset, but I'm kind of thinking to myself, I love that cup of coffee in mm. the kitchen. Yes, I exactly. And, <laughs> and and they could have done that. They could have just had a still shot of that, and then all of a sudden, when the phone rang, they could have done a, a like a jump cut. Yeah, absolutely. And had yeah, it all right. shaky. I, I'm but... thinking about that scene now, and I'm, you're right. Yeah, it's really cool. Because they because they could have given him that moment where it's like he's got the Folgers in his cup, he's enjoying <laughs> his day, and yes, you're thinking exactly the same thing I'm thinking. Why doesn't he have a bigger house? Not maybe he doesn't want it. Maybe he doesn't no, care. No, he's a very. But I'm, I'm thinking he's thinking. Why doesn't Doctor Fleming ever ask for a second cup of my coffee? <laughs> <laughs> this is the good instant I've got here. Yes, come on, yes, come on. Uh, uh, what what else in this episode? There's there's a lot. I mean, this is probably an episode we could talk for. I not that like, we don't yeah, talk for forty forty five minutes. Percy Rodriguez is a badass and. This, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just want to talk about Bonnie Markham and like dive into the Markham, but that would take forever. So the acting yeah. is just really good. This is just a really good episode. I, I almost, it's, really... it's almost harder to do really good episodes because when things are, for me, have a little bit more flaw, and mm-hmm. I'm happy to have things with flaws. I'm not saying this is perfect, but like, but like sometimes it's easier to talk about where like the gaps are. But here mm-hmm. I feel like they've sewed up everything really well, so it's almost impossible yeah. to like add to it. And they, and they even like at at the ending where you think where he's putting her on the bus and you think it's gonna go s- smooth or smooth as it can go and then all of a sudden the hitman sort of just casually walks on the bus, yeah. you know and suddenly you get oh we get another action scene and this one is nicely done with the Luke Ann leaping around and then he gets on the bus and he said that guy's got a gun and uh, you get to you get to see the whole array of extras doing a whole array of reactions. He's the best. Is the best and they're oh they're I mean that's him. Isn't that him? No, that's not him jumping on the. That's a guy who looks a lot like Kevin Brophy jumping on yeah, that bus. Yeah, it's so well done. Because that's a Jackie Chan their, their move right there. Their double for him is really good because he looks just like him. And, and sometimes I think it's him. And I'm guessing he's doing some of it because I get the mm-hmm. feeling that Kevin Brophy is not like a super buff guy, but he's really agile. And I would I would not be shocked if maybe he has like dancing in his background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's something really graceful yeah. about him, and and I do think that when we do see him doing some of these things, he's he's Gosh. really agile. Wow, because because it's in that the, the stunt where he goes up the cars and then on the bus. That's in uh, not when he swings in the window. That's another thing, but that's it's in two shots. In the first one, it's definitely him going on the cars, and then when uh, it cuts to uh, Diana M looking around, 
and then it cuts back to the long shot of him going up onto the back of the big truck and leaping onto the bus. And wow, that looks like him. Yeah. Wow. That I mean, if this was high def, maybe we could see the face a little it's clearer. It's really good stunt work, yeah. But it's really, I mean, and it's really nicely done too. It looks exactly. And even when he swings into the bus, yes, you're like that's that's probably not him. I don't think no, you'd have your star yeah, on top of. Like, wow, did Kevin Brophy do that? But they didn't even. Even when actors are really good at stunts, they were like, no, you can't break your leg. There is a point. We'll lose we have millions to stop. of dollars waiting for you to heal, and so, so I, even if they trusted him to do stunts, they probably wouldn't yeah. have let him. I think it was like like Robert Conrad was one of the only people like with Wild Wild West who mm-hmm. like had a thing where he had to do all his. Well, you're stunts. not going to say no to that guy because he's just. You're not going to say tighter, no. and they and no, then won't. he'll kill himself. <laughs> you are not going to do that. <laughs> you are not going to do that because he'll challenge you to a foot race. But then you send oh. in Gabe Kaplan. And Gabe, Gabe takes him down every time. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, but but it's 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 a it's a really it's a real lovely and it, it all I mean the 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 um, the whole thing about it in the end is just that final scene where they're standing up on like the top of a dusty mountain somewhere in Los Angeles and you know and they just have the final we're not your parents and it doesn't actually seem to really matter that they're not his no. parents but they do have to run and he says and look at says almost under his breath how do you run forever. Yeah, and he also and which says of course goodbye is, mom and goodbye dad, which is really yes. sad. Yes, and and what he says, how do you run forever? Of course, that's not just for them, but that's for him, and that's and I li- I like that. I'm not, I you know my one of my I have several big pop culture failings. One is I've never seen the Fugitive, the TV series. Uh, I've seen the movie, of, uh, but I've never seen the TV series. So I don't know if there's a moment in that when they have sort of a self-aware... I imagine there is. Probably, for with, the time period. You know, that's, I've seen The Fugitive, but not consistently. Do you know what I mean? Mm, and not for a long, yeah. long time. Because there's, there's just something about a show that we're four episodes in a TV movie into kind of saying to itself, how do you keep this, this up? How do you keep doing this without, you know, without getting caught? And in in, in the in the um, Demir's case would be caught by wacky hitmen, but in Lucan's case would just be running out of interesting story yeah. ideas and things. I don't things. know that they like could. Ru- I mean, so like I'm thinking about, and this isn't a weird connection, and maybe I'm not making a great argument, but like, and then came Bronson, so he's not being chased mm-hmm. by anybody. But yeah. one of the things, so I'm not as familiar with the TV series proper, but like in the TV movie, him and um, Bonnie Bedelia, who he picks up at the beginning of the film. He goes to like this like place where there's just people breaking up uh, bricks, and that's what they do. And they get a little bit of money at the end of the day. And and so he breaks bricks with like these very these people look like they've had hard lives, and some of them are children. And he gets enough money to buy dinner, right? And and then Bonnie Bedelia doesn't buy. She refuses to do it because it's beneath her. And then she ends up not being able to eat that night because uh, I think he ends up feeding her eventually, but. Uh, Bronson's like, if you didn't pay for the food, you can't have it. And and so I'm bringing up that moment because when you were talking about that, I'm thinking about how and then came Bronson. They had just these really weird little moments where mm-hmm. like he would just find himself in these like situations, and it wasn't necessarily the story itself. Like it was just a piece of of that happening yes. the way to the story. And I feel right. like Luke Han probably could get away with something like that. Little vignettes. Yeah. Rather, yeah. So it probably could... could have run forever with really good writing. Yes, yeah, that would be the thing at the end of the day. It's with a show like this, it's the writing. Yeah. They can they can act their hearts out, but if once the writing goes in the toilet, you can't you can't cover it up. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um and uh jeez, I would I would have loved to know. Uh is there, are there any interviews anywhere with Kevin Brophy talking about this? I, I know there's the 
there's the one on what is it Hell High where he talks or Hell Night where he talks oh, uh, I'm sorry I didn't mean did, to bring up Hell High he did an Hell interview he does, with, he's an interview um, on there. the seduction too but he just talked about being in the seduction and mm-hmm. he's with Colleen Camp and oh. somebody else maybe the director I can't remember it's on the yeah. extras for the seduction but like so he's around yeah he is and he looks on the on the interview I thought what does he look like today and I thought yeah that's pretty much what I thought Lucan would look yeah, like after looks, a lifetime of yeah. running and yeah. so um, but like uh I don't know that anybody's really contacted him, and I actually thought about that myself. I'm not really good at contacting actors, but like, mm-hmm. it's been in the back of my mind. Would he talk to me about? Luke oh my King? gosh, could you imagine that? Maybe I should try see if I can get him on like the last episode. You should because I got Parker oh Stevenson. My gosh. So like, I've hit the gold mine. Like, I don't know why yeah, I'm terrified right. to like ask other actors. <laughs> I got the ultimate actor for me to talk to, and he actually sat with me for like an hour. So. I don't know. Maybe he would, because I would love to hear him talk about the show. Uh, not just, like, the show itself, but, like, John Randolph was a blacklisted actor. Mm. And I would love mm. to hear stories about John Randolph. Yeah. There's very little documentation that I know of, really, about him. And also just the character actors that showed up. And Don Gordon yeah. was really interesting to me, because he was, who plays Prentice, he was in a lot of stuff. But most recently, he was in, um, not most recently, but most recently, I worked on a project he was in called Out of the Blue, which is a Dennis Hopper film. Oh yeah, and yeah, he yeah. and Dennis Hopper, I think, got really trashed, like during the making of the film. I know Dennis Hopper was trashed, but it looks like Don Gordon was too, because a lot of it's improvised. Mm. And and I would love to hear stories about Don Gordon because he sounds oh. like he was a really interesting character. Mm. And Percy Rodriguez and Money Markham, and yeah, like all these people, like like, like so it must be interesting to be Kevin Brophy because he, this was very new for him. And I can't remember if he did the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew shows before Lucan or if it showed up mm-hmm. in the middle of Lucan. But he was really new, and to see him, like, working with all of these really, like, renowned, mm-hmm. well-respected seasoned actors, I would be really interested to hear his perspectives. It's, I, I can't watch Hell Knight now when he does the speech oh, in the beginning. I love that. Without thinking, without thinking of, without thinking, thank God Lucan made friends. <laughs> This might this might go this might go wrong in a little bit, but for this this moment, and you know what you do if if you're worried about you know what happens later, you stop the movie. It doesn't you know the movie the the movie. Even when you just compare him to Hell Knight, and particularly that movie we've already brought up like twice now, Time Walker. I was going to mention yeah yeah, he ends up being a jerk though. He's really good. Mm -hmm. He's he's those are three clearly different performances from him like he's got a good range but like and i was looking at his filmography and he didn't do a ton and i can't figure out why yeah that's yeah i yeah yeah time walker is one i'm surprised hasn't uh popped up somewhere yet on a nice blu-ray or something you think it would i mean it's early 80s i'm dreaming of you and i do some commentary for that I would love that. Oh my God, we could talk about Ben oh, Murphy God, and yeah. Kevin Brophy so much. That's oh all we would talk gosh. about. Like nobody would learn anything about the movie. It would just be like Gemini yeah. Man and Luke Can. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, that would be awesome because they because they have the ex. Uh, whoever does it has the. I mean, if like the Scream Factory should do it yes. because then they can include the um, the MST episode where they covered well, it. Well, also they released the Seduction, and I think they shot that interview with him. Oh, so they probably oh, have his yeah. contact. Yeah. Why are they doing this? Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, now I want to watch Hell Knight, which uh, which isn't one of my favorites. <gasps> but but I, I said, we, we, back, back when we were doing Podcast Mania, I, I brought this up. I said, I just think it's a little too long. Damn. But then Amy the Conqueror said, you know what? Uh, she had seen it on the big screen a few months before. And she said, see it on the big screen. When you see it with the crowd, it, it, 
It's perfect. I think it's like a great film. It's really scary, and, and it is. He's great in it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. You know, I'll watch it again this afternoon. It's 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 got him and the guy from the Powers of Matthew Star. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It really does. It, it does. Really does. I mean, like you can't even top that. But I love his story the, about the the Garth Manor and get everybody being gorked out. And it's so funny yeah. because I have a friend, and when I met him, I was at this dinner and. Uh, I was introduced to him, and I found out he was really into slashers, and and I I don't know how Hell Night, and we both were like talking about being gorked out, and then we like <laughs> bonded forever after that, like we became like that's fantastic, like, really good friends because for some reason we were the only two people on the planet who remembered that phrase, I guess, and, and it was just like this great moment. But then I rewatched Hell Night a couple of years ago, like somewhere in the middle of the early days of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it in a while, and I was like, God, this is a great slasher. I, I watched it about uh, I, I, around November. I rewatched it, and um, I was I always get the same thing. I really I think it's it's nicely made, and it's got some. Gr- I I I sh- I always get to the end. It's like with the Prowler. I get to the end of the Prowler, and I think I should like that more, but something's off on it. Well, and I'm not. Prowler, I think with Hell Knight, it's too long. The Prowler the, the, has that really long scene in the middle that I think kind of kills the film. Yes, but otherwise, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, the Prowler it spends a little too much time with the final girl creeping around. She's pretty. She is. But yeah, but after a time, you know, it's like we got to do something a little more than this. Yeah, there's just I, that, like, dragging I, moment. It makes me think of, and I, I'm just going to put it out there, and I don't know why, but you know that scene in Pulp Fiction where, mm-hmm. and I love Bruce Willis, and maybe this is a bad time because he's sick now and I don't want to, but that scene where he goes to his girlfriend, and she's like, I have deep hot belly. The pot belly on the pig is on the pot, and I'm like, oh my god, slit my wrists, slit my wrists. and for and that's why Pulp Fiction is one of my least favorite Quentin Tarantino movies because it kills the film for me right at that moment. And then he goes and oh, goes to and remembers the story about the watch, and then it becomes good again. But like that pot belly scene kills me, and I feel like I don't know why I just said that, but like, and then but the Prowler has the pot belly scene somewhere in the middle. There's a pot belly scene. I have the pot belly. The pot belly on the woman is better than the pot belly on the man. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, end it! And so the prowler has that. <laughs> so every time I, I think it drags yeah. something from now on. Whenever I'm on your show, I'm going to say the pot belly moment. The pot belly scene. Okay, yeah, that 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 works for me. Okay. Yeah, the I th- I think the thing with the prowler is the moment she finds the dead bodies you think so what do we got like 15 minutes left in the movie and you're like we've got an hour left <laughs> what are on earth i mean as much as i love slashers you don't go into slashers for for adept storytelling so the moment you see the formula is that off you think okay they're going to do something exciting but really it just for that hour it basically becomes like humongous yeah it's just a bunch of but kids wandering around humongous uh, does it better for some reason like i would say that's a you, better film I, I think so. I would agree. I prefer Humongous. I probably the Prowler. I probably watch once every couple of years. Humongous. I watch like a couple times a year. Oh God, I'll watch it whenever it's on. Not that it comes on TV <laughs> like that. Exists, I think it's whatever. But... Whenever I see the Blu-ray, and my Blu-rays are horribly um, set up. Yeah. They're just in a big pile. So whenever I say, Oh, Humongous. The the only thing I've said this before with Humongous. I think they make a mistake with the opening. I I don't think the it should have begun. The movie should have begun with. Like an old guy in a sh- in a boat, his his boat breaks down. He goes on this island with strange signage on it. Uh, he hears howling in the distance. He goes in this weird house. You see him open a door. He sees something we don't see it, and then he's killed horribly. And then the movie begins. I don't know. I, I like we... that backstory. And I, if I remember correctly, I... the, the credits kind of add some to it, right? The sepia. T- yeah, it's the sepia. T- basically, by the end of the credits, you know that she's had a terrible time after the yeah, I incident, like that. and she has a and she has a kid. 
it's kind of implied that she yeah, has I guess a kid. It does no, I don't think it's at all. But I, I, I sort of like it the way it unfolds that way. I, I just think, I just think there's there's so much to Scooby Doo gang yeah. when they're on the island that they're meant to be unfolding a mystery that we already no, know. Yeah, I see that. And and yeah. And so I think if it were to start with something like, what the hell was that? What did he see? What's on this island? What is this island? Then when they're looking around, you're like you're waiting for them to discover what he discovered. It, you're hoping to learn, but and it, it ruins the mystery. It might have been a good like flashback. True. Yeah, maybe you maybe know, like, like halfway during the movie or something. Or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe that yeah, would work. Like, I understand what you're saying, but I, I guess I like it because, well, first of all, I don't really like to watch sexual assault in films, even though for some reason I get uh, called to, yeah. hey, you want to do Less House on the Left? And then I, ever since then, <laughs> I've been asked to do every rape revenge movie ever. But I do like that they that if they're going to have it in a movie, that they de-glamorize it as much as possible. And so it's, even yeah. recognize that, like, even you, a man... Right, that's not how I meant that to sound. But like, as if you you even just brought that up on your own that she's had a terrible time, and mm-hmm. like and like so I think it really does without diving into the fact that sexual assault is awful. It lets you know that anyway, and it really does like declamorize yes. that aspect of it. And mm-hmm. a lot of horror movies that have it in there don't always do that. And so I think maybe it's I just appreciate the approach to it. But I agree mm-hmm. with you that yeah, you kind of know what's happening when you get on the island. So yeah. <laughs> And and maybe maybe if they left out, I love the photos over the credits, but maybe if they left that portion out, if they just had this this scene, this intense crazy scene, and then left you with you know a half an hour later, you're thinking, what did that scene have to do? What's going on? But as it is, the the sepia tone photographs basically say, here's what happened. What well, I think and, in, this, in the credits, uh, they just should have had a girl carrying blueberries without a top on. <laughs> that would have been great. I would have watched that for half an hour. Sure you you know what? As far as we know, I have. <laughs> I'm almost positive a lot of people have watched that for half an hour. Yes. I th- <laughs> but I do like that scene. Yeah. So so Lucan's great. And we're going to – wouldn't it be great if we could Kevin Brophy? Oh, we're dreaming man. now. Maybe somebody will hear we're this dr- and they just know Kevin Brophy. Oh, Actually, would that- I used to know somebody who knew somebody who knew Kevin Brophy. Oh, well, you're closer than I yeah. am. Well, I, I mean, I'm pretty close, though, because I know you, and you know someone who knows someone. Yeah, knows so someone. I was almost there. But, yeah, that would oh be like gosh, the dream. we're close. You're all close. Everyone, in fact, listening, you're all close, because you hear me, <laughs> and you hear Amanda. So so, so I guess, so let's let body run forever. We could talk about it forever. Uh, anything else on this? This one? is really good. I feel like we went way off there. and Maybe a little. But that's okay. Little. But, yeah, because Kevin Brophy was in Slasher, so I think it's fair to talk about where he fit in. Uh, to the world of slashers yes, at that point, yes. but he's a wonderful actor, and this is a great episode. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, I guess that's the end of this. I'm trying to think if I got anything else. I don't. Even we've been talking so long, the episode ended. Oh. And I had a plan <laughs> oh, here, sorry. so, so, so this this will be a good chat, everyone. Enjoy it. Why not? Luke and short lived. Amanda, what uh, work we find you online? What have you been up to? You've been have you been getting lazy? I've not been getting lazy. I want to be lazy. I've been really busy, but <laughs> so far most of the things that I'm doing haven't been announced yet. It's crazy because there are things that I turned in last year that like haven't been announced, and I mean I turned them in like last April, and wow. um and that's because people take their time on stuff and they don't always like they give you a deadline. But then they have to go past it themselves because they have to make sure that it's remastered properly and other extras. And, yes. and I respect that. But like, there's things that I've been sitting on that I've almost forgotten I've done. That I'm, I can't. They're going to get announced. And I'm going to be like, oh, that looks really good. Hey, I'm on that. You know what I mean? So I'm really looking <laughs> forward to that. But I guess the biggest thing that's been announced. I think I've already mentioned it on here, but now we're really close to it. I think April 10th is the 
release date of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre released through oh, Second yes, yes. Sight, which I yeah. did a commentary with Bill Ackerman with, and nice, um, nice. or for, and uh, and we're really excited about that. Um, and I'm also somewhere in the documentary that appears on that release. I think it's also on the Dark Sky oh, release. Nice. It's called The Legacy of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, oh, nice. So. Uh, that's been the newest thing that I can think of that's been awesome. announced, and um, and I'm really excited about it. And yeah. and you can find me more or less. Just look up Made for TV Mayhem, and you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Do that. Yes, and buy her book. Oh, thanks. The the Amanda Reyes story. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you in, are you in the House Alone TV movie compendium edited by Amanda Reyes? It's got a really long title that I never remember, but if you look up, are you in the House Alone a TV movie compendium? R E Y E S oh. stands for Reyes, which stands for awesome. I like the idea. No, that should be A M A A stands for awesome. I like the Damn. idea of having a biography, but I would need a catchier title, and I'll have to think about it. <laughs> but I don't know that anybody wants, really wants to read my story. You know, like I sat down. What am I up to right now? The Amanda Reyes. I did research today. (laughs) Did some research today in her diaries. She published her diaries. She did research today. (laughs) I did research. Ran five miles. Oh. Yes. Well, I guess we could try it. We could try. (laughs) It's not going to be a blockbuster. So that was how do you run forever? Next up, uh, we may have a little boxing involved, everyone. But next up on here, you get some of this. Look out, it's Gemini Man, he's the man who's going to save you from yourself. While he's invisible, and he looks like a magic elf. I couldn't think of anything to rhyme with that, but it's Gemini Man. Welcome to Gemini Man, episode 4, Train de Nuit, as it says in my French DVD set, or Night Train to Dallas. Uh, originally aired October 14th, 1976, directed by Alan J. Levy, 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 written by Stephen E. D'Souza, for heaven's sake, if you enjoy some 48 Hours or Die Hard. This one, he, he, I guess he always liked time-related things, huh? Because uh, this one has has big stuff relating to uh, time and such with, with the, you know, the turning invisible stuff. What I'm going to do, as always, I'm going to read you my review from some Polish-American Guy Reviews things. Then give you a little bit extra after that. I actually think this review... As with the previous ones, kind of sums up exactly what I want to say. I may add a thing or two, and I'm going to try not to repeat myself. And I know what you're thinking. Dan, the past three episodes, you've said, I'm not going to repeat myself. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm going to try not to repeat myself next time saying I'm not going to repeat myself. What do you think about that? I think that's great. So here's the review, and I may amend it here and there as I'm reading it, but here's my review. Uh, published, uh, wow, July 26, 2015, Gemini Man Episode 4, Night Train to Dallas. Dr. Arthur Friedman, a very important scientist who's up to the sort of very important stuff that scientists in shows like this are always up to, dies. No one can find notes on his work. But he had a research assistant who's also an Olympic-level swimmer. She has a photographic memory. Her name is Amy Nichols. So the good guys and the bad guys go after her. As with the previous episode, the bad guys are a little vague. They're definitely not Russian. Maybe they're just a conglomeration of jerks from previous Cop Adventure TV shows. That would be Kaj, a conglomeration of jerks. 
that that was added. Uh, Sam Casey is our rep on the side of good, as he should be. Amy's on her way to the Pan American Games in Dallas with the rest of her swim team. Everyone converges on a night train to Dallas. Plus, there's a dog named Lucky and an elderly blind woman. Let's see. Uh, oh, there's a screenshot of Amy in her bathing suit doing a dive, and then a shot of um, uh, Leonard, Abby, and uh, Sam watching her. Uh, and it just says, uh, <coughs> watching, it says Amy under the first one, and then watching Amy under the second one. And you can tell that Sam is about to smile. He may be a perv, but he's an all-American perv. Gemini Man stays strong for its fourth episode. I think it's actually a step above the previous ones. Yes, there was very little Leonard and Abby, which I don't fully cotton to, but this one is action, excitement, some comedy, nasty bad guys, and a few twists. Sam begins his attempts to bring Amy into Intersect by going to her school, Santa Laura College, during training. Sam has to encounter the very protective football team, average age 32. And then he tries to convince Amy, but she won't go. Even Sam's hunky charms don't work, so we head for the night train. And there are a couple shots of him, um, <laughs> Sam Casey, pool maintenance, uh, the football team, or 30-year-old bodyguards, you decide. Yes, Sam does wander. Can you hear my mouse clicking? Yes, Sam does wander into the private car filled with the young ladies and gets hit with pillows and carried out. Yes, Sam gets a sidekick in the form of the very smart dog, Lucky. No, Lucky is not annoying. He's a cool dog. Although Lucky doesn't seem to get returned to his owner in the end. Maybe it was a setup for Gemini Dog. I was going to say James Perriott. No, James Perriott wrote... Um, did James Perriott write a previous episode of this? He wrote a previous episode of something that I was watching. Was it an episode of this? Because I was going to say, he, he's he's best known for, for a lot of things, and one of them is um, creating the bionic dog. Uh, back to the um, review. Yes, Sam does sneak through the gal's car invisibly, and girls do peek out from their berths with confused looks. There are fist fights and chases, and Sam gets drugged and thrown under the train. It's all standard fare for a show like this, but done well. Two things to distinguish it and put it just a notch above every, everything else, or everyone else. One, Mrs. Price, the elderly blind woman. The one person in the series who can't tell when Sam is invisible. She sits at a table in the club car reading Agatha Christie novels. After Sam tries and fails to convince Amy to come with him, Sam has a lovely chat with her. Mrs. Price travels on trains because she finds them relaxing. She also loves the possibility of intrigue on a train. She touches Sam's face to gauge his features. She does not say, hey, you're Ben Murphy. It's a very nice scene. Now, this is all set up for her to save Sam when he gets thrown under the train, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a lovely, well-written, charming scene. A scene that becomes even stronger because it's a bit in the midst of a very dangerous situation. Two, the climax. This episode amends the invisibility rules of the pilot movie. In the movie, Sam cannot remain invisible for more than 15 minutes in a 24-hour cycle, or else he will fade away forever. In I Train to Dallas, there is an addition. He turns the DNA stabilizer off to become invisible. As we talked about before, there's some sort of um, uh, something in that watch that touches his skin, and when it makes contact with his skin, it keeps him uh, uh, visible. And when he, he beeps it, it raises up from his skin and he turns invisible. So he turns the DNA stabilizer off to become invisible. At the 15-minute mark 
a failsafe kicks in. The stabilizer automatically turns on and Sam becomes in, becomes visible rather than fading away. If he removes it, or presumably turns it off again, he will go invisible forever. The failsafe seems like a good idea to me. Well done, Abby! But it does mean that if Sam hits 15 minutes, no matter what he's doing, he turns visible. So... The implication throughout the episode is that if the bad guys catch Amy, they will do whatever they have to do to extract the info. The very end, Sam is on a hill on a horse with Lucky by his side. The three bad guys are fixing their jeep at the bottom of the hill. Amy is with them. Now once that car is fixed, they are gone. Amy will probably be tortured and eventually killed. Sam announces to Lucky and the horse that he has 18 seconds of invisibility left. So very heroically, he turns invisible and takes the horse down the hill. It's very exciting. The thought that if he fails, she's dead, makes it incredibly tense because we like her. The invisibility is used to save the day. Well done. <laughs> there's, a sh there's a shot of... Um, uh, I don't know, I just laughed at my own joke. There's a shot of Sam on the horse and Lucky is next to him. And you can see Ben Murphy there and Lucky and it just says, Alias Sam and Lucky. Get it? Back to the review. Although I did miss the thought that if there was no failsafe in place, it would be even more exciting. Sam riding into danger knowing he'll become visible shortly is tense. Sam riding into danger not knowing if he'll, in 18 seconds, be invisible forever is pants-weddingly exciting. But both ways work. And then I have an asterisk here. One odd thing about the 18-second scene. When Sam becomes visible again, he can be seen adjusting the DNA stabilizer. I can't imagine that he has to adjust it to activate the failsafe. So he must have accomplished the rescue in under 18 seconds. Wow, Sam is cool. Night Train to Dallas is great. It's a well-written, well-directed, well-acted adventure set mostly on a train. I'm so very glad someone decided to do this episode. I like to think this is the same train that Laverne and Shirley rode on in the Murder on the Moose Jaw Express two-parter. That train gets a lot of action. Four episodes of a TV movie in Gemini Man remains a quality show. What could go wrong? And then there's a shot of two ladies sitting by the pool, and it's O and Kim Basinger, who is in the role as um, the, the lead gal's friend. And that is the review, and that's pretty much pretty much everything I, I want to say is in there. I would also add that it is implied that there's a moment when Sam says to Amy, you got a photographic memory so you can remember the professor's stuff. She says, I have a photographic memory, but I don't have a... Um, I don't. I forget what what the word is she used, but she her memory doesn't last forever. So, and she it was several years ago when she saw all his notes and everything. She doesn't remember them, and they basically imply that they're going to use drugs and some sort of possibly unpleasant techniques to dredge them up out of her subconscious. Basically, probably the same exact thing the bad guys are going to use, except the bad guys won't mind hurting her more. And will, like I said, probably dump her body in a ditch somewhere when they're done. So there's a weird sort of implication here that um, whoever Amy goes with is going to treat her unpleasantly. It's just maybe she'll get donuts at the beginning of the day. She'll be able to go home. Hopefully she'll be able to go home. I don't know how top secret this stuff is. Who knows? Maybe when she actually gets to intersect, they'll have to keep her there too. That's the tricky thing about the episode because at the end of it, they say she because they can't because they'd have to give her drugs and she says you're not giving me drugs before I I, I go and, and do these competitions she says after the competitions she will do this for them and if she has to receive some sort of drugs or something whatever it's it's funny because to me 
<laughs> you know, to me, this is this is one of those episodes. Like, if the show had gone on for seasons, maybe like three seasons from now, they'd be like in like the vaults of Intersect, where they keep you know um, crazy people or something like that. And in one of the vaults, you'd see Amy, just like completely, her mind completely burnt out. We got everything we needed from her, but we had to destroy her mind to do it. It's kind of, there is a weird undercurrent to it that. Um, if this if this was a show made by the in quotes bad guys, then Sam would be the evil guy, and this would have been a tragedy because the three guys in the jeep weren't able to bring Amy back. So it's all it's all a question of uh, degrees. It's all a question of where you're standing in relation to, I guess, the hero of the show. So that's the one tricky thing about it. Um, and and yes, I did I did I did say earlier, and I think I said this when we were talking to Lucan because Lucan, Luke Lucan actually does fix it. Uh, uh, it's sort of thing about why are they going after Lucan when they made a point of saying they're going to pretty much ca- cancel the program, the Lucan program, because it's costing too much money. Why are they after him to bring him back now? And with this, I had thought that. They, they they actually do it really weird with the fail-safe thing that I mentioned because it's not like there's a big explanation where Abby says, okay, so previously, and like I said earlier, the 15 seconds and 15 minutes for every cycle, they say for every cycle, which I guess is every 24 hours, or they're not more specific, but it's every cycle. So, um, and this cycle must last a, must last a while, huh? Um uh, so so every 24 hours a recharging or something has to happen and you see his watch and, and that's the fun with the episode too is that um, uh, like when he gets knocked unconscious he turns invisible and and it's a great it's a great bit where he's where the the blind lady finds him because she uh, he's basically put under the train on the track so when the train starts up the wheels are going to crush him but she ends up tripping over him. But she can't, obviously she can't see him, so she's kind of like feeling around and she gets in a good hoo-hoo down by his, yeah, no, I'm kidding. She, she feels his face, oh my god, Sam. Uh, oh, and she accidentally hits his watch and, and makes it turn visible again, which is a good thing, uh, which is a lucky thing because Sam probably would have got crushed. That's a nice identity. But anyways, so, so, there's a, so, so what Abby did to prevent Sam from accidentally leaving it on past the 15-minute mark. If he goes past 15 minutes in a cycle, he stays invisible forever. So what Abby did was fit it with a fail-safe. So when it hits 15 minutes, he automatically turns visible, and it stops him. Now, I don't know if that if he can turn off the fail-safe. If he can, like, once the fail-safe is activated, can he continue to run it to keep... I mean, he wouldn't. That's silly. But they don't say, but they do say. And he says very quickly on the phone, like, yeah, I know, Abby, the failsafe will kick in after 15 minutes in the cycle or, or something like that. So I don't turn visible forever. He says that when he's on the phone trying to get to Amy at the college, he said, oh, oh, it's when Amy and the gang are getting on the bus. And he said, I'm going to have to go after the train. Abby mentions that he doesn't have a lot of time. Be careful with his invisibility. And that's when he says it very quickly about the fail-safe. And it's like, you could almost miss it. Uh, the reason why I didn't miss it, because I was sitting here going, okay, I've got in my review, I mention it. So he must mention it. So, oh, there, it's mentioned. So Abby doesn't have a big moment where she explains it. It's just said, there's a fail-safe on it now. And I suppose if the fail... I mean, that could have been an episode later, right? Where may- maybe there was something where, like... Um, like uh, 
like something damages the failsafe and Sam thinks the failsafe is working so he's out there invisible running down the time thinking okay when 50 minutes on her turn visible again it will work from there but the failsafe isn't working and Abby's trying to contact him but she can't and he's getting closer to the time and we now know that if the failsafe isn't working he's going to turn invisible that would have been a good idea for an episode later on um, but really that's all I have to say about this episode the review covered most of it it's it's a uh, the reviewer already said it watch it it's a good one. I think so far we're, we've got a good... We, we've got, with the TV movie and the first four episodes, we have good to great. Let's see where the next episode takes us. And I know where this is taking us to our good friend Tim S. Turner and a little bit of Video Game All-Stars. Listen to this. We're back. Tim, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm doing pretty good, uh, knowing that I did not have any of the hairstyles in this film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I may have had some of the gals' hairstyles in this, actually, when I'm looking <laughs> at it. Uh, but we're talking about Video Game All-Stars Episode 2. Um, this was, this was um, I, I, after watching the three episodes, you realize the interesting thing about it is I think that they were all made by the same guy, but they're, it's, it's like a show in search of a format. And I don't think oh, yeah. it, I don't think it ever finds it. Although, although if you if you read the YouTube comments for the third episode, that's the one where he thinks he gets the format down. Whether he does or not, when we get to the third episode, we'll talk about that. But this one is more or less the same as the second one. But this one focuses more, and I don't think Tim's going to like this, on people playing games and talking about <laughs> them. So this one may have been one that drove you up the wall for some reason. I in the first episode I found it like when the guy talked about Tron for half an hour. And I kinda I was like, I can take this or leave this. For some reason I found it rather charming in this, hearing the kids try to explain what was going on. And sometimes I, I'm gonna talk about the Jack the Giant killer kid who's my favorite of yes. them. Uh briefly. But this one is hosted by a guy, I wanna say his name is Rick Cazetti or something like that. I may have made that up. But it's a guy with kind of fun uh, Bufanti sort of blonde hair in a suit and tie and um, he's talking to all the um, the video game playing teens in there and one of them actually they, they've actually got video game all-star t-shirts yes. in this episode so we're branching out here we're still in 1983 we're branching out and um, we've got uh, we got a kid who plays Defender and one who plays um, what is the rope and Rock, rock and rope. I forget. I think it's rock and rope. Yeah, rock and rope. And there's another one. Yeah, does Jack the Giant Killer? And then oh, geez, there's I... a Donkey Kong Junior. There's a Donkey Kong Junior. The Donkey Kong Junior one was interesting because it, like rock and rope, showed me board a board I'd never seen before. Yeah, that that final board where you're in like Mario's factory. I yeah. never, I'd never seen that that board. I, I, I thought I was pretty good at Donkey Kong Junior., but I'd never seen that board. And I guess that's part of the fun of this is I like, uh, on occasion, like rock and rope. Let's be honest, blows. But, <laughs> but looking the more the deeper you go into the game and the more elaborate it gets, they're doing sort of a thing where they're like, um, what is it? Putting a lipstick on a pig? Is that is yeah. that the is that the phrase? Where yeah. they're, um, they are. It's still the same dumb game. If you've seen Rock and Roll, basically the premise is you're at the bottom of a bunch of levels of, like, trees or things, and you basically stand at the end of one, 
fire a slow, like, grappling hook kind of rope thing. It attaches to the next level. You pull yourself up, and then you just keep doing the same thing. And, woo! Uh, but the, the first the first level is not thrilling. No. But, <laughs> but what they do is they add more and more crap to each level. So more and more stuff, things come out of caves, things are over here, things are there. So it's like you're doing the same thing each level, but it's getting kind of crazier around you. And I thought actually if you the the farther along you further farther along you go in that, that game, it actually looks like it might be fun. I can't say for certain, because there's no way I can play it right now. I, I think the fact that nobody remembers it probably means it wasn't but <laughs> possibly <laughs> no. yes yes there's 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 every good chance i i i think that they played the game my favorite one of my favorite tv shows and i've said this before and i'd love to do a podcast covering it but i'm not sure how i do it is starcade uh-huh. the, the mid 80s arcade game hosted by jeff edwards who was a big game <laughs> show host at the time he yeah. was a lot of fun and they made like 120 130 episodes and they they play video games with a lot of awkward teens and little kids and some awkward adults and um it's just fun to watch and they play all sorts of video games and one of the ones they play is is rock and rope and the problem with starcade is that you you basically um you, you 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 it's it's round so like the first round you play for 50 seconds then the second round you play for 40 then the next round you play for 30 and some games can be a lot of fun to watch but then there are other games where you just <laughs> kind of like they have a dragon's lair based episode and we talked about that briefly in the previous one and they play dragon's lair somewhat in the, the third episode so we can talk about it a little more there but the thing about dragon's lair is it sort of starts off with the same few boards over and over again So the Dragon's Lair game was basically a group of people playing the exact same boards over and over again, (laughs) and 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 it was it 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 was super obnoxious too because, like there there was there's a board with the 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 swinging ropes and you have to grab the ropes and fly across like the fire pit, and then there's another one I think where you're, I think you're like on a, like on some sort of platform that drops and you have to jump off onto a thing and yeah. and it, it was it was weird watching it on Starcade because some boards like the fire pit one was low po- the points are just random they seem to be on the game like how who cares about points on dragon's lair right i mean it's not right. that kind of game but they did on Starcade and literally the way you would win Starcade the way people won the dragon's lair game is by whatever board the computer chose to or the the laser disc player chose to play Right. So so it would be like like the the last two people would be up and they'd be like okay you know you need you know you need this amount of points to beat them and this person needs this amount of points and the first person would go up and they get a high scoring board and yeah you got 10,000 and the next person started to play and immediately it was like the fire pit board and you could hear everybody moan because they knew that was a low scoring board and no matter how well they played they were never going to get 10,000. And it was really kind of cheap and 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 strange, but still I love the love the um love the game but but the thing with um I forget why I was talking about Starcade cuz I love it. That's why I was talking about it. So there, it's my show. Um but um the the, the thing with I I realized with video games is that um 
And oh, oh they they did play yeah they played rock and rope on on Starcade once. Yes. And it was it's just the first fifty seconds you're just on that board that first board, you know you know and and it's not a fast moving game, so it's just like you're watching them on the same three levels and it's like oh my god, and it's like yeah, some I, some games are better than others. It's it, it's not like they, what, what they what they should have done is they should have picked. You know, something more fast-paced like Centipede, you know. Yes, yeah. Or, or Zaxxon or something mm-hmm. that where it's like boom, 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 it's moving. So the home audience has something to get interested in. Yes. When you have somebody, the whole game is just, well, I just threw my, you know, my yeah. rope up there. Here <laughs> Look go. at me go. Here it goes again. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, it's, my God. It's, it's not – It's I always kind of wish that they could have – fiddled with the game somehow to be like okay we're going to start on the third board or something like that rather than the you know the first board over and over again yeah. but uh, yeah one kid plays rock and rope and god bless him he's having a good time doing it and um like i said the further you go along the more fun it looks and um and uh now i want to talk briefly there so so the kid who does jack the giant killer yeah, a little kid too. Little little kid. He has my favorite moment in probably all three episodes, and yeah. that's that's where. Um, uh, so you're you're trying to get up there, and you're trying to save the girl from the giant, and then he's like, and then you you get up here, and and the giant falls from the beanstalk, and he I, I forget exactly what he says, and he dies, and then and then you see the girl, and they go off screen, and they make love. And yes, then on the next, and it's like, right. I'm sorry, what did you say, Stevie? <laughs> Where did you get that nice. from? I, I'd like to think like that some poor kid got, got his mouth washed off with soap. Yeah, it, this is like a six-year-old kid. Yes, he, exactly. he's not a teenager. Yes, exactly. It's like a six, seven-year-old is, and it's so weird because he's like, and then he gets the girl, and they make love, and it's like, did he just? <laughs> And it's so weird that they left that in. Well, I think it. it he says it in a way, like it kind of, kind of quickly, that where it's uh, almost like maybe they just didn't pick up on it. Yes. I don't know, but it, it made me laugh like really, really hard. It's it's a fantastic <laughs> moment because it's like it's like because when the kids, it's it's funny. The most interesting way to watch this episode, I think, is put on on headphones because the kids are talking on the left channel on your left side of your speaker, on your headphones. And on the right side, you can... This is the way they edited it. And it's it's really weird that they didn't leave out the sound. But um, uh, they the left channel is the kid in a voiceover describing what's happening. The right, right channel is the sound of the game being played live in front of you. And yeah. you could hear stuff like... Um, uh, you could hear like the kids going... Okay, now we're gonna go on the next board. Uh, are you almost done with that? Bo- and you could hear like people talking, <laughs> like the director talking to them occasionally. You'll be sitting there like listening to the kids saying, and then they go and make love. And then the right side of the screen is the game almost done, kid. And uh, you, you'll be hearing these weird like uh, it, it's very strange to hear because the um uh the the voice on the right is it's not that loud. It's kind of they're trying to keep it in the background, but every once in a while you can hear people talking, and it's really distracting. But it's also kind of a fun audio video thing that you don't, you know, that you get on a cable show like this. Uh, yeah. the the thing that's interesting is like you've got there, there's so many times where he the, the 
your host giving off uh, serious serial killer vibes, by the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> is yeah. interviewing these kids. And the interviews consist of, hey, uh, so you're Bobby Smith, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Almost like he's surprised. Like, hey, yeah, it's... Like, what? You know, it's... He is, yeah, so uh, yeah, why do you like Defender? Uh, it's really cool. And you, <laughs> you wanna... blow stuff up. <laughs> You want to okay, play? well, great. Well, thanks for talking to me, Bobby. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to play Defender in the back of my van? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it, it, there's something about, like, the way – if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Last Broadcast – Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Off, like, the guy. Yes. Like, the guy that guy, yeah, they go and talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. monotone. Yes. You know, like, I can't and, wait for him, like, you know, tell me more about the Jersey Devil. Yes, exactly. And, and every <laughs> once in a while, this host, he'll, like, he'll, like, do something where you can tell he's amused himself. Yeah. But it's not, it's like, like, like he's by the Five Cent Center, and he leans in, and there's, like, a big five painted on the window. And he'll yeah. lean in and, like, trace the five, the Five Cent Center. Yeah, like, like uh, this is where my fifth victim will be found. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And it's like you watch it and you go, he's he was one of those people who was very amusing to himself. Oh, oh clearly. <laughs> and he's having a good time. And he does that thing, too, that I love, which is um, uh, where um, when he's talking to the kid about Defender, even though the game is in front of him, and the kid is saying, yeah, Defender's a lot of fun. Now, I will say this. Defender on the Atari, I know, was always put down for having bad graphics. But it played pretty darn well. Or good. Yeah. It was a good game to play. It just didn't have the graphics of the arcade game. But what the Atari game had is it didn't have 400 buttons. Well, I mean, yeah, Defender was like, was probably one of the more complicated games. And they, they like, it, it was like they did it on purpose. <laughs> because it was like they had a there was a fire button and a down and a forward and an up and a, and it's like why just a joystick and a fire button why does it have to be it, it was like they they were I don't that defender always drove me up the wall I never I played it in the arcade once couldn't figure out the way all the buttons worked never played it there again <laughs> and and two and two the one of the things with arcades too is like I always get very self conscious when people who aren't like my friends or family watch Watching me. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always it was almost like I'd get halfway through a game and I was like, I gotta leave. I gotta leave. I'm and I still still to this day if I'm like working in an office and someone comes and looks over my shoulder at what I'm doing, I get everything wrong. Oh, I, just I like that totally. Yeah, because I'll be doing something, and I and I and this is actually totally perfect uh, timing bringing this up because this has been something at work that's been an issue with me. Is all of a sudden someone will come along, and you know, start looking at your screen, what you're typing, and everything, and and all of a sudden I just I start messing up and hitting the yes. wrong buttons. And everything. I'm like, ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. Yeah, I can't do it when people are no, no. I can't. I don't. And I think that came from video games. Where I would yeah. play a video game because the the time I played video games the most when I was and we'll get back to the serial killer uh, host. No, I'm kidding. He's not a. <laughs> that's a joke. We'll get back to him in a moment because I want to talk never about. Proven. I, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the defender <laughs> thing real quick. But like actual proper video games, I rarely in arcades. I rarely play them. I would like when we went to Chuck E. Cheese. I would play because they give you like you'd go for someone's pizza birthday party and they give you like a dozen tokens yeah and then i go because i could never justify to my mind because at that time 
I loved books. And I could oh, yeah. never justify spending two or three dollars on games that I played for one minute when I could get a comic book or I could put that towards a book book or something like that. So generally, if I went into video arcade as a kid, I was watching people who could play play. Mm-hmm. And they would do that thing after a time where they would hook up like a monitor to the game and put the monitor above the game. Right, so everybody can see it up on so the So you screen. could watch them play. And it was yeah. always so much fun, I think, to watch. But, but I was more, and I'll talk about this in the next episode, but I was more of a home arcade game guy. Unless, like I said, it was Chuck E. Cheese and I was playing on someone else's dime. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one of the things that's great with uh, this series is, besides it just being a, a, an amazing time capsule, but mm-hmm. it, uh, when they're panning around or they're showing someone play there's little details that you pick up on that are like with the the kid who's the defender champion yes his fingers are covered with band-aids i didn't notice <laughs> yes it, both his hands like have, like band-aids on all his fingertips Wow. Yeah, and it's just like, wow, how long has this kid been yes. playing this thing until like, his fingers are bleeding or something? You wow. Know? Yeah, this this is the episode where they have the kid says, I played this game. It's Defender. He also yes. plays Missile Command. I played this game yeah, from yeah, yeah. January 30th to February yeah. 2nd. <laughs> yeah. The wow, wow. Uh, yeah, it, 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 like I said, that's one of the things with the, with the show that did – irritate me it's like let's be honest missile command is not that interesting to look at no not really it is it's fun to blind. play i actually played it you know i i actually have it on like an emulatory thing that i have here that i that i play and i played it like a week or so and it's still super fun to play sure um but but watching it played yeah, it alternates no. between boring and sometimes anxiety producing because <laughs> sometimes you're sitting there going yeah okay but then every once in a while it's like ah, too much going on too much happening. Uh, by the way, one of the great sponsors is like most of the sponsors when they go to the commercials are for other arcades. Uh-huh. Or or oh, you know, like, I think uh, I know what sponsor you might be about the, to mention. <laughs> because I don't know if anybody at the time thought this sounded, oh, say, shall we say spicy? Inappropriate. Uh, maybe it's like you know, you know. <laughs> Players who go to like you know five center arcade love going to the leather, leather connection. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, they throw that in with like two or three other things, like yes. go down to the video shop or the comic store and the yes. leather connection and yes. Trivoli's Philly subs. Give me that middle one. Like what was that middle one? Yeah, and they're like you know for all your favorite leather goods, for you all know, your leather like, needs. Oh my and at, God. at that moment, then right there, you see the little kid from Jack the Giant Killer step out the door. Yes. And, <laughs> and, then, that, and then all of a sudden, they cut to that that weird little Elmer Fudd. Yes, he's there dude. again. He's like in like in front of something called like Beans Arcade or something. Like yeah, that. and, and it's he's like, like, where are we now? Another yeah. arcade? It, it's one of the it, honestly, it's like the the show comes off like it was edited in, in a, a Cuisinart. Because it's just random stuff. And and like I said, not only that, put headphones on when you watch it. Because yes. the stereo sound, and I'm going to mention this real quick. The guy, because I don't fully understand what he means, but the guy who posted these, who made them, said he, he recorded this episode without control track. 
Now, yeah. I'm not sure, Tim, if you know, do you know what Control Track it refers oh, yeah. to? I, I had a public access show in the oh. 90s, so yes. Okay. So, and I thought, how would you do that? Because Control Track is, and I haven't used Control Track in ages, but Control Track is when yeah. we would when we would do editing, proper editing, like we had two decks, and you would have one of them would have the tape with the stuff on it, raw footage, and the other one would have the tape recording onto. Right. And you would take the tape you're recording onto. The first thing you do, um, and this is most of my recording was done on like a three quarter inch. And so I don't know what this was made on. It looks like three quarter inch to me, but then it could just be a very old recording. Um, so I don't know if there was one inch or, or what. But um, you would you would take the first thing you do when you open a, a tape like a T120 is you fast forward and rewind through to loosen it up. And that, this is what we did. I don't know. Maybe you know with your your public access frou-frou stuff that you were doing. We were just a bunch <laughs> of dumb. Uh, no, no, we, um, uh, and, and then you would take the tape and you'd put it in a generally what, here's what I remember. It's been a long time. You'd put it in a video camera. You would put the lens cap on, unplug the mic and hit record. And you, and you'd basically record from beginning to end on the tape. And that would be control track. And you would edit on top of that. Right. And without control track, you get these occasional like glitches and staticky jumps and little things where like I th I think the theory with control track is you're creating like a signal or something that the videotape can record over, or something like that's not technical there, but that's more or less what you're doing. And if you don't put control track, then if you if you like put in a VHS tape. This isn't going to happen anytime soon with any of you. But if you put in a blank brand new VHS tape, you will see every once in a while there'll be like a flash of static or something. Yeah. Or sometimes a lot of that. And the control track has to cover that because you can't edit when that's happening. Yeah, no no control track. The way I explain it to people is like it's the difference between, you know, if you have a staircase or if you have a like a smooth ramp you can't mm -hmm. if you don't have the stairs you can't lay down your different yes. your different cuts mm -hmm. it's it, it just it, there's no way to do i don't know how he did this frankly. i don't know how yeah that, that doesn't um be i don't know I, I thought maybe he's saying the wrong thing maybe he doesn't mean control track because, like, I, I remember the first time we encountered problem with control track was my friend Jason was making something, and he had hit record on the tape, and it was recording all the way through, but then halfway through, someone had to use the camera. So he stopped, they used the camera, he popped the tape back in, and somewhere in there, he, like, went ahead a second or two. And so he hit record again, so there was basically an hour of control track, like a second of no control track and then like an hour of control so when he we were editing it got to that point and it just stops dead it doesn't edit on that point and so at that point you either have to find a way to cover that with control track or you're screwed and and so i'm wondering how this guy did that very lucky or or he's got the wrong terminology yeah, I, I I think he might be mistaken in the, in the terminology because I I really don't know how the hell he would yeah, that, edit without a control track. Because yeah yeah because and it's funny because he said that and I I was sitting here and I said I said oh control track ah uh, and I did have happen once where a friend of mine 
did a tape for me, and he said, oh, I'll take care of that, Danny, but he forgot to unplug the mic. And so if you watch this, like, three-minute video I edited on that tape before I realized there was a problem, whenever there's silence and you should be getting room tone, you can hear people talking in the background. And that's people who, when he hit record... I don't know how this happened because it's never happened on another tape with me. You could hear the people that were in the room when the control track was recording. Way in the background, I thought he was actually trying to sabotage my recording, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but Actually, you know, the only way I, th- I can think of that this guy did this would be if he recorded everything in order yes. and, and just hit pause. That, that would be yes. That would be the only way I can think of if he was doing like in camera. Right, recording or something. Because if he's going from professional deck to professional deck, you have to have control track because it, it when you get those flashes, those glitches, that's there's no signal there for it to. It literally, I mean, it's like, and then we'll stop talking. I'm sure everyone tuned out five minutes ago. Oh, good, they're talking about control track, honey. Bring the kids over. This is fantastic. There, this is. I'm gonna call this our control track chat. But I used to have a VHS. Now, um, VHS tapes they used to work. Um, if if you saw the tape, you know the tapes are all. You know the tape would be. You know a pre-recorded VHS tape is all. You know everything's dark. That's the emulsion on the tape with the sound and the picture and everything. But right at the beginning and right at the end, there'd be I don't know a couple feet, a foot two feet something of clear leader yeah and and so you'd pop in the tape and it would play all the way through and then what would happen is when the vcr got to the clear leader at the end it would stop and rewind mm-hmm. so it's not like a it's not like a super high tech thing it's just that's the way the player worked it would go forward when there was emulsion but the moment it was clear leader, it would stop. I don't know why exactly it did that, but that's what it did. <laughs> and that's how tapes would rewind. It wasn't like a computer. It was a voice going, the tape has reached the end. Please rewind. No, it was just like an automatic thing. Uh, you know, it's like when you when you flush your toilet, you know, the water goes out in the in the toilet and then the tank opens up at the same time kind of thing, you know hitting the handle does a couple different things when you hit the clear leader it does this but I had a copy of the movie The Strangeness the wonderful cave movie from the Uh mid 80s which I now have on Blu-ray for heaven's sake Um, (laughs) but I had a copy on VHS where in the center of the tape and I'd never seen this before um, about an hour in there was a space of maybe two or three inches where the emulsion was gone Mm. and so you would watch the movie and suddenly it would shudder, stop, and rewind. <laughs> and so what you'd have to do is when you were approaching that moment, you'd have to fast forward. Right, and then yeah, it would stop a little early and then fast yeah, forward. Yeah. It would fast forward quickly over the clear emulsion, and once it went over the clear leader, it would be fine. But I'd never seen that, and that's sort of what like the control track is. If there's no control track, you'll be... Uh, like you'll set up an edit to go you'll hit play the edit will begin and then halfway through the edit if the control track gives out it'll just stop it won't go any farther and so I can't imagine how he did this I'd love to ask him what he means by that but I don't want to offend well also he I think he passed away <laughs> oh did he oh yeah it says he passed away in 2010 is what I read oh no 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, sir, we're enjoying your show right now, <laughs> and that was our control track chat. Nobody needed that. Maybe <laughs> I'll do that as a bonus. But that's—I'm sure some of you editing know what that is. That—that's—that's that's one of those things that you, unless you've done like proper like old school linear video editing, you have no idea what that is. That's something that I don't think you'd even have a concept that you need to know what that is. But that's just one of those things, you know, when you're in the know, like two two cool guys like us, we're wild and crazy. Um, <laughs> so so let, let's let's come back. I don't. I, I'm gonna keep. I'll keep that in the episode. What the heck? So we'll, we'll wind up the the episode two <laughs> chat right here with um um oh oh the thing I love about the host is he does that thing where uh, and I meant to say this before the control track chat thousand years ago. Um, where he's talking to the Defender guy, and he says, it's something like, so, you're Steve, and this, this is your game. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I play Defender, I love it. All right, so uh, tell me, uh, how do you play Defenders? Uh, well, the way you play Defender is you do this and this. All right, well, I think Defender sounds like a lot of fun, so maybe play. And I thought, stop saying Defenders. <laughs> it's Defender. You know it's Defender. The kid keeps saying Defender. You're standing in front of the game mark, Defender. On the side, it says Defender. On the top, it says Defender. On the screen, stop saying It's like... It's like going to see Star Wars with your grandma standing in front of the poster. And she, you know, Danny, you want to go see the Star Wars? Yeah, it's Star Wars, Grandma. Yeah, and let's go see it. I can't wait. This Star Wars is supposed to be. It's Star Wars, Grandma. You can see the S. Stop doing that. And it's like she's doing it on purpose to annoy you. Is Mr. Spock in this one? <laughs> It's like we're going to see you want to see this new Star Trek movie? Star Trek. It's Trek. We're going to see the Star Trek. And it's like, yeah. no, grandma, no. And that's that's I think the guy is doing that on purpose. He's calling it Defenders. I now I, I maybe. I, I, I could be I could be just just you know, after that control track chat, I'm willing to believe anything. If this guy <laughs> made this without control track, the the only thing I could think of was I used video equipment for editing like this circa like 88 to like 94, 95. This is 83, 84. Maybe things were slightly different. Maybe <laughs> some, maybe, I, I can't imagine it was that much different, but maybe no, there was something no. different. I, I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of why he would say he didn't use control track. Because like I said, my we're back to control track. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> we're going to go see, Danny and I are going to go see the, star, the new Star Wars. Grandma, stop it. Stop. <laughs> well, this was the day, uh, if you remember correctly, like the, the, the videotapes were enormous. Yes, that they, that they used for filming. They were yeah, just yeah. gigantic, as opposed to like a little VHS or something. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, like I said, the only thing I can figure is maybe is like he paused it and filmed everything in, you know, in yes. consecutive order. Uh, let's be honest. I mean, there's not a lot of, you know. Other than that one low shot, it's not like there's like yes. a lot of creativity going on. No, not really. Not, re but then, but then there is the fact that there's so much voiceover on it. Yeah, too, so, maybe too much. So yeah, maybe too much. <laughs> so there would have to be that would have to be added at some point. Um, and and the fact that in like I said in those things where you see the screen on the left side you get the voiceover and on the right side you get the live sound. So that to me is like. That's more advanced than just your in-camera editing or something like that. That that's actually 
laying an extra audio track. Yeah, the thing um, with this show is that it's just it's like a bizarre uh, uh, nightmarish stream of consciousness. It you know, is. You never. There, there's yeah. no real. You know. There's no real structure to it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, here's a couple of random interviews with people on the street. Like he grabs yes. some guy who was getting into his pickup after you know yeah. going to gas and sip, <laughs> you know, or something. Oh, you like, you like you know, games? I love games. Uh, yeah, I I, I play uh, Miss Pac-Man. Uh, so how much of your income do you think you spent on it? A lot? Yeah, yeah. Probably not much. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It, it is weird. Because... Playing a game, and then it cuts to a commercial, and then it cuts back, and you, you, the weird music video by with the yeah, you and the clones clone, song and, is out again. It's just like what? It's and he uses the same song in all three episodes. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 as he pans around arcades and uh, you know by the way that one arcade I that I think it was the um the five center or whatever uh-huh. it, it didn't just have video games it, you know like i said it had the foosball tournaments but it also had all these pool tables yes and it, yeah. so it looked kind of like they had like a you know, like some like degenerate pool hall in a crappy part of town That's, and then they brought yeah. video games into it that was always and this yeah i actually have it playing right now and there's he's he's doing some wacky video stuff where like a guy's gonna play zaxon and yeah. then it suddenly jumps and he's gonna play zaxon again and there's some guy who's dressed like um i don't know he's he's like a dexy's midnight runner or taco or someone like that i don't know he's playing a game and it's like wow oh there's that elmer fudd guy yeah wow he's there is again wow and there's oh there's that there's that there, there. He keeps, he keeps reusing these shots. I guess, I think he's trying to make it like a music video. I think something. maybe that's it. He's trying to make it like MTV. Yeah. But he just doesn't have the editing skills, and it's uh, not, yeah. I, I suppose if I could turn it up, maybe to see if any of the edits are on. Like, oh, here he's getting in the car. Elmer Fudd's getting in the car. Yeah. What does that have you to do with anything? I don't know, but he's happy in that car. Is wow. He's driving that car to the. Jolly Roger, or he's going to. Oh, here's the video shoppy. Yeah, the video shoppy. S H O P P. And there's somewhere here that sells car stereos too, or something. I guess. Yeah. We're having fun. Oh, there's the comic. Oh, there's the comic store, which means after the comic store, we are getting everyone's favorite. The leather connection. The leather connection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we cut from the leather connection very quickly to the sub place. So. The, the thing I, I love is like about the leather connection. I, I really, I, I really wish what they had had is like, you know, because they have that uh, kind of, you know, uh, 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 poppy video game music while they're, mm-hmm. you know, oh here's uh, here's the music store, here's the comic book store, and it's like the, burp, 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 you know, while they're talking, <laughs> and then like, if they had just like had like a, you know, like the record scratch, like, and they go, leather connection. Yes. <laughs> It's a shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's our guy. He's stepping in a very empty arcade right now. There's a pool table. There's Ms. Yeah. Pac-Man. Yeah. There's Pac-Man. Pole position. Yeah, it's 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 Pengo. There's Pengo. Hey. hey. Pengo. Yeah, there and there's some foosball and then Lionel Richie playing foosball. That's awesome. I Fantastic. wonder how many people like how many young people know what foosball even is. Yeah, that's probably not. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of arcades in this. They just cut to another arcade that he's gone into. Oh, this is more pool tables. Yeah, I think with the pool tables, always make it feel a bit more like it's going to be a little, lots of guys with beers smoking, 
Yeah, yeah. And Minnesota stuff. Fats is in the corner, you know, yeah. doing, his, doing his thing, you know. Because I, 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 um, I think maybe one of the reasons why I didn't go to arcades too was my mom would always have that thing. Be careful in there. Be careful <laughs> in those arcades. Because she used to have that the the comic book shop. I used to go to when I was a kid where I would buy all my comic books was a comic book comic book store slash newsstand slash arcade. Oh, wow. So so it was pretty much... Now, I never went in the arcade. I was there to get comics. And occasionally, I would go through the magazines, and that's where I used to get my Doctor Who, the Target books, the novelizations when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And stuff, because they would have the spinner racks with the books, paperbacks on them and stuff. But that, that was Empire Comics, Newport News, and they had an arcade in the back. I was actually waiting to see how long it would take you to get a Doctor Who reference in here. <laughs> I got it. I didn't get it in the last one, but but we got it here. Okay, so you, you know, we're going to have every show. I have to mention it at least. Well, every every show because this is just the three episodes, and I probably won't mention Doctor Who again. Although maybe I will. <laughs> but so 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 what else? So we got. Um, I, I think we probably pretty much we can go on to the control track discussion took a lot of this one, but uh, <laughs> this, this one this one sort of near the end it has that Donkey Kong that Mario's hideout with the electric zappy things and a really um yeah and a kid a kid playing the game who looks a bit like a um uh he looks a bit like a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> he kind of does. Well, you know, the thing I always thought was weird with the Donkey Kong Jr. and Donkey Kong 3. Oh, uh, yes, where you're shooting uh, the Kong in the butt like yeah, or something, well, right? Yeah. Just, for, for Donkey Kong Jr., uh, it's like all of a sudden now Mario's the villain. Yes. It's like, yeah. what was up with that? Did they have like animal rights groups or something? You know, like, oh, we've <laughs> yeah. got to. Yeah, that seems Mario strange. Yeah, uh, he's hurting that poor gorilla who's just doing yeah. what comes naturally, throwing berries. Yes, and... <laughs> Stealing. yeah. And at the end, Mario and the and and what's her name? They go they go off screen and they make love. <laughs> and it's so. it's sweet and it's beautiful. I I, I love oh the thought God. that maybe I I, I just I, I and we'll stop talking about the second one here and and like I said, our third one will just continue from here. No more control track talk though. Um, and I do like with the kid who's playing Donkey Kong Jr. They do all sorts of angles on him. Yeah. They have one sort of on the side. They have one a little 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 like low angle Dutch Dutch on him. But then they have one where like the camera's just facing him, and he's like almost looking in the camera. And you're like, yeah. I don't think he's playing anything right there. How did they get the camera right there? I I love the thought that maybe like that's the um like the producer's kid or something. All right, Tommy, just look in the camera and pretend you're playing. Oh, Dad. Come on, tell me play. I don't play Donkey Kong Junior. Now all the kids at school are gonna beat me up and want me to play Donkey Kong Junior because I look a bit like a ventriloquist dummy. He does. I just saw him again. He's scaring me. <laughs> I, I think that was the director's uh, fleeting Fellini moment. <laughs> he just wanted like, oh my god, yes, man, this is genius. If this I have the camera fantastic. looking at him, so it's like he's looking at. The he's game. looking at us. He's you are Donkey Kong Junior. You are yes. Donkey oh Kong Junior. Oh my god, Jr. your diaper uh, is full and you're ready to eat some. <laughs> you're ready to rock. I love the fact that Donkey Kong Junior wears a diaper. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> That's because you can't that. stop. He's playing for twelve hours or more. He played. He he. Donkey Kong Junior himself played from January thirtieth to February second. Right, discovered the secret. The kids probably <laughs> got like depends on or something. Yes, yes. That that. I wonder if that's why the kids did that. It's like, 
This is the one where the you could tell this is the one where the kids break all the records because there's a um, there's a diaper dispenser at the front. Does anyone have twenty five cents? I need to get a new diaper. You got it, Steve. You got it. Oh lordy. Uh, so we're gonna wrap this one up here, and I'm gonna say, Tim, where can we find you online, or what's up? Uh, well, you can find me and uh, Kelly Hogaboom, my co-host on uh, Beauty the Beast and the Bees, our genre film podcast, and uh, we are. Uh, I, I think this latest episode, we're still talking about Scream Six and uh, probably a couple other uh, old video picks. I am looking to inflict death spa on oh, kelly nice. at some point nice. so we'll we'll see where that goes mm-hmm. and that's all excellent. on uh, itunes and soundcloud there you go excellent thank you so much and we'll be back next time with video game all-stars number three which like the first two has another format to it so um uh let me uh let me uh I, here, join me. I'm going to play a little music. I'll be on the other side talking more about Control Track. Would you join me? Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the end of this episode of Eventually Super Train. I am your new host, Brown the Robot Voice, and I am here to say thank you for listening to the show. We can be found on all your social media things such as Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy them. Next time, more people talking. Bye-bye.